Alistair Ramsey joins me on Perspective to talk about his concerns over Tinwell's secret briefings. Should you be concerned that your MHKs are frequently going into briefings which you never find out about, and which often resolve political concerns behind closed doors without the embarrassment of having the public listening in? We also discussed the Tinwald Order paper and later on the programme I talked to Education Minister Julie Edge about the challenges her department faces. Alistair Ramsey is going to be joining me uh, in perspective over the coming months. And Alistair, you have probably hit the headlines rather than wrote the headlines uh, uh, with your rather exciting expose about uh, secret Tinwald briefings. Yes, uh, that turned out to be far more dramatic than I expected, actually. Um, For quite a long time, I was concerned about the culture of closed briefings in in Timwald. I sat through lots of them as an officer um, and then and it, it, it was very routine, it was very pleasant, nobody thought there was anything unusual about it. Whole of Timwald get together for a bit of a chat and learn something about what's uh, proposed. Um, and it was only really when I left that it struck me as rather a, a strange and, and a questionable pattern for a, for a national parliament to be engaging in. When I stood for Legislative Council um, with a complete lack of success a few years ago, I made this an issue and I noticed that the other politicians, MHKs, were utterly horrified and nonplussed at the suggestion that there might be anything improper at, at, at this this behaviour. So a short while ago, um, I thought, I'll just try an FOI to find out how many briefings there's been in the new administration, what the subjects were and everything. And I thought I'd get a kind of partial answer, you know, a bit of a fudge. Uh, I was quite surprised when the response came back from the clerk of Timbalds that uh, they were revealing no information whatsoever about these briefings, not even the subjects that were being discussed, because it was absolutely exempt information under FOI, uh, because all these briefings were confidential, and that was all part of Timbal privilege. That actually provided a far stronger headline because it meant that you know, we could talk about secret meetings and so on. Um, and if, if that is the case, I think it is very, very strange. And I suspect that the Isle of Man is the only modern parliamentary democracy that actually has these secret meetings, private meetings of its entire parliament, albeit informal meetings, um, I think everywhere else the assumption is that the Parliament is a fully public aspect of the democratic system. And, and uh, actually, having read uh, your, uh, your your piece, uh, it, it did suddenly occur to me, uh, uh, having been Minister for 11 years and given several of these uh, briefings over that time, uh, you know, it, 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 I thought, actually, this is, this, there's something in this because... Um, effectively if you put a really good briefing on for members and uh, you answered their questions fully the chances are whatever particular motion it was that you were bringing to Tinwald uh, or whichever 
policy issue mm. that was about to hit the headlines, uh, you were almost guaranteed an easy ride, uh, that, and often uh, hardly any debate at all in Tynwald because the debate had taken place behind closed doors uh, in the security of, yeah. of the burial suite. So yeah, it's it's a, it provides a kind of soft landing for the ministerial side. The backbenchers get privy to lots of information that that other people don't have, so they can appear to be in the know in the eyes. They're very jealous about that, you know, having information first. But the question is, why not share all that good information with the public? What what possibly can be in there in a discussion about policy or legislation that is so sensitive that you can't share it with the public? And, and it's a kind of a, a strange... Uh, way of uh, or defence, uh, I suppose, that's being used under the FOI legislation that uh, all proceedings of Tynwald are confidential, bearing in mind that the majority of Tynwald proceedings are open for any yeah. member of the public to attend. I, I think what they're saying is that these briefings are all confidential and that the right to receive information in confidence is, is an aspect of Tynwald privilege. Um, which completely blocks an appeal on the basis of the of the public interest. But I think we're living in an age where there's a presumption of openness in, in public life, unless there are very good reasons for, to do otherwise. And I can't, for the life of me, see that, you know, it being a particularly comfortable arrangement for politicians counts as a good reason. And, and as I recall, last uh, government I was part of, we had a system whereby... With regards to most of the briefings, the briefings would be given to Tynwald members, uh, an opportunity would be given for questions, and then a, a, with a, a period of grace of maybe 15 minutes was given while the Tynwald members uh, finished their puddings and the um, the press were invited in and then the mm. press were given the same briefing. So yeah. um, presumably that's changed. Um, I don't know. I think it may, I think it may still happen occasionally, but I, I suspect that it... The pattern has fallen away. Um, and it just it looks from the outside now like a very cosy, kind of cliquey arrangement. Um, you, you know, the entire parliament goes off in a huddle. And I believe it's happening on an almost weekly basis. And I just think it is at least highly questionable. And, of course, you know, there are things, there are issues which... Uh the government has to talk to Timbald members about confidentially, uh, you know, some of the bigger international issues, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, ongoing uh, discussions with uh, various um, international finance organisations or or uh, discussions with the United Kingdom. Those sorts of uh, ongoing discussions would need to be dis- uh, explained to Timbald members in a confidential way. So, so the principle of an occasional confidential briefing is not unreasonable. No, um, no but, but perhaps what you're getting at is uh, Minister, well, I think the only meaningful piece of legislation that's gone through uh, Keys and, uh, uh, so far is, is the uh, income tax bill. But presumably if Minister uh, Ashford had wanted to do a briefing about that, um, there's no reason at all why that should not have been uh, you, the information contained in that briefing would not be publicly yeah, available. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, it's, it is accepted that there will be exceptional cases where you do need to have confidential briefings. It's just kind of become the norm. And I suspect that the members themselves haven't given too much thought about it. They may be quite surprised to learn that these were all confidential briefings. 
But I think that now it's such a part of the culture of Timble, it does need to be considered, reconsidered and put on a proper footing so that there are quite clear criteria about what what should be confidential and the rest of it should be in some way or other opened up to the public. That information ought to be shared. It would help government's communication um, if that material was out there so you don't get a situation where the members are having a chat in the House um, all having been to a briefing and, you know, kind of in the know and the public are a, a few miles behind them in terms of their knowledge of what's going on. I mean, that, that can't be right. No, it can't. And, and of course, the, the, the other element to this is that um, ministers using these opportunities effectively to flush out any, any particular opposition so that they can either ensure that they... The, the motion is is suitably uh, modified before it goes to Timwald, or indeed that suitable ammunition is prepared to mm. to go back at the members who who, who may wish to to raise some opposition uh, in Timwald. Well, again, you know that that suits them tactically, but I'm afraid they're going to have to do that in public, you know. And if they modify a motion, fine, you know, they can say it's in response to feedback. I mean, and and. You know. Perhaps this is why uh, many commentators um, on, on Manx politics uh, take the view that uh, it's a fairly staid and unexciting uh, business uh, because most of the exciting stuff is happening behind closed doors yeah. and we're never allowed to, to find out I'm about I'm not sure it. from my recollection if, if all those briefings were terribly exciting. <laughs> but but um, I think the food was more exciting than the, the briefing sometimes. But no... I, yeah, I mean, the point is we should have all the debate, as much of the debate as possible, out there in public. I think it's time we thought think again about this issue. And one of the other points is when people attend those briefings, are they attending as parliamentarians or as part of the government? If they're all being treated as part of the government, it means there's no difference between parliament and government. If they're attending as parliamentarians, it means that's a, a kind of private interface between government and parliament. That shouldn't happen. So I just think it needs to be thought about properly. OK. And obviously, you've, you, you're joining me on the show. We've, we've had a few uh, agendas uh, together over, over the co- yes. course of the last uh, eight to, to nine months. Um, but uh, you, you've, you've agreed to help me out with some of these prospective programmes. Uh, yes. And, and uh, I suppose one of the, 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 the questions that we were talking about uh, in advance of this show was the need for uh, independent scrutiny of government and parliament Mm. and of course therefore the need for strong well-funded journalism on the island. Yeah it's one of those issues that it's difficult to talk about without sounding a bit kind of pious and you know high and mighty but but uh, yes i mean it it is true that that uh, good responsible independent journalism is an essential part of the democratic process in terms of holding power to account um and all those various principles questioning um people in power drawing out information and explanations on behalf of the public about what the government is doing why they're doing it and also what they are not doing so it's actually helping to create that that agenda. Um, I think that it's it's even more important in the Isle of Man because of the nature of our political system, which tends to be uncritical and unchallenging because it isn't based on a kind of government and opposition. 
Um, our public debate is quite narrow and reactive. And also we don't have that hinterland of um, think tanks and independent bodies that you get in bigger countries. So the media here, um, that maybe they don't always realise it, but they do have a very important role to play. And And would you say that we have sufficiently well-funded media on the island. Would you say that uh, the the resources available to the, to the media that cover mm. such things as, as Tynwald and Isle of Man yeah. government is sufficient? That's a difficult one to discuss when we're sitting at Mags Radio, isn't it? <laughs> but um, I think it's the challenge that a lot of Isle of Man organisations have is that you're performing a national role with local resources. Um, so, you know, and there's a tendency to treat these things as purely lo- local radio, local papers. But I know, I mean, even when I started in Tinwald, which is not that long ago, I mean, it's probably nearly 20 years ago now, but um, I remember that the, mm. the, you know, the votes would be reported in Tinwald. We'd have a rough idea, you know, the, the, the key issues mm. anyway, yeah, the, the, there'd be a, a reasonable summary of what had actually been said in the debate and indeed um, the, the, the votes that were taken. It's very rare that you would find anything like that in the newspapers or indeed on, on, on any of the radio yeah. stations. When I started in, in Manx journalism a very long time ago, um, we used to cover virtually everything that was said in Timbald. I mean, that was excessive, actually, and, and quite often it was quite meaningless. But you would have all the votes and virtually every question. That was probably the other extreme. You can see that it has declined. I think um, as resources have kind of tightened up, people have focused on what the public are in, what they think the public are interested in. And, you know, the audience for in-depth Timwell coverage is, I guess, pretty limited. And is it, is it, sorry, start that again, is it the, uh, the role of the media to follow the clicks uh, on, on social media or should we... Uh, as media people be uh, trying to challenge the public to a certain extent as, as well as uh, yeah. reporting on the things they're interested there is in. That, there's that kind of public service element that applies to all media, I suppose. It's not just about, you know, um, s- selling a product. Uh, it's about the responsibility that you have. And also part of the challenge is you're translating this kind of baffling language of parliament and government into something that the public will understand but the big challenge is making that relevant to people having that you know answering that question why should I care about what goes on in there and I think the politicians themselves should always think about making themselves relevant to the public too. Yes I, I did try that with uh, the uh, what was the, the income tax bill which I referred to earlier. Yes. Uh, I tried to make that interesting and I tried to ask the questions in the form that how is it actually going to impact on the vast majority yeah. of people's lives? It was quite a struggle to get uh, any yeah. meaningful answers on that one. Not uh, that uh, uh, David Ashford wasn't trying to, yeah. to help, but uh, it, you know, it's a bit, bit of a technical and complex well, so, Sometimes thing, it can uh, be virtually impossible, and that some things are just inherently technical. And yet, yeah. the income tax bill, some of the provisions in it, will allow... The, the finance industry to continue to operate and therefore income mm. to continue to come into government and therefore all the services that we enjoy from Isle of Man government to be paid for. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, anyway, um, we have a Tinwald sitting coming up in a week or so's time. 
and uh, I wondered whether uh, you had any thoughts on the agenda paper. Maybe we could have a, a, a quick yeah. look at uh, the Tynwald agenda. Yeah, well, um, I noticed there's a, a statement from the Treasury Minister simply headed the financial situation. And, and to be fair, uh, I think David Ashford has explained in previous uh, either Tynwalds or Keys that uh, he would come back to April Tynwald. I think it might have been at budget time he'd said he would come back to April Tynwald with a further statement on additional measures that may be required as right. a result of the, the changes that were happening. So perhaps that's, that's what that yeah. statement is. I mean, presumably that's something to do with the, the, the cost of living crisis or the, the pressure that's building up there and their measures to, to help. With yes, that. I, I presume yeah. so. And, and of yeah. course, with uh, the latest announcement, I think this week, was it 6.9% mm. uh, uh, inflation has, yeah. has, has gone up to. Uh, so it's, it's, it's looking a bit bleak at the moment. Yeah, and I think government, I mean, they seem to be willing to spend to help uh, households and businesses ride out the storm. I mean, this is a, a further storm on the back of COVID. And we've almost got into a pattern of that now. So I think um, the old reserves will be taking a hit over time, but I guess they're in a almost crisis mode and they haven't got much alternative. So then looking down the order paper, um, the, the chief minister is, is moving that an independent review into government's handling of the COVID pandemic um, be... Uh, uh, undertaken. Uh, did you find anything in that that was of, of, of interest? Yeah, this is this is an interesting one. This is, I mean, this is a, a kind of compromise um, on the back of the original proposal for a full all singing, all dancing public inquiry, which the council minister said would be too expensive and take too long. So, in in conjunction with Timwell's public accounts committee, they've come up with this proposal this these terms of reference for an independent review that will report by the end of t 2023 um, the proposal is that this would have an independent chair it will be completely independent of government it will have full access to all government records um, and personnel so it, I think the idea is that it would have the same effect as a a full public inquiry. And, and the chair can appoint any particular experts that uh, yeah, the chair yeah. feels fit uh, to, to appoint uh, um, during the course of the process. What, what's not clear to me anyway, in case I've, unless I've missed something, is um, how and by whom this chair is appointed. And I think they'll have to be careful to make sure that doesn't look like there's any government influence on that. Yes, because uh, often these things are, are done uh, in the confines of the Council of Ministers. Yeah. Oh, yes, so-and-so, he, he'd, he'd be a, a good chap. I think um, they'll be careful not to do yeah, that this yeah. time. Hmm. Uh, and pres presumably then uh, the uh, Public Accounts Committee could be engaged in, in, in that process in some way. I, too. I would think that would be a joint enterprise yeah. as well, I would expect, yeah. 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 Um, do you expect much by way of division in, in relation to that motion or, or, or should that um, just be a relatively straightforward... Uh, my impression is that that will probably get a con consensus support. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, we'll, we'll see. Well, we'll bring you back in a couple of weeks yes. uh, just to see how, 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 how your predictions uh, got, went. Uh, then we have the Timnell Policy Decisions Report and Mr Speaker... I, I, I presume, I think this report is, is laid before Timwell, isn't it? But Mr yeah. Speaker has decided he wants, he wants it to be a bit clearer as to, uh, as to what goes in it. Uh, would that be? Yeah. 
I'm I'm not an expert on this one, but I um this is something that's been seems to have been around forever and was kind of just I don't think anyone paid much attention to it and it might have been in danger of dying out. Um, and and I suspect um you know well I I know uh, when this was introduced uh, to the the idea was that actually the Isle of Man government uh, perhaps um, was was quite ex- happy to accept Timbald making resolutions and then happy to completely ignore those resolutions and, and at some point someone has obviously said actually wait a minute we need a report on an annual basis sure to see how much progress you're making it was quite uh, worrying to see that uh, not only um, were there items down there from when I was last the DOI minister, but also from when I was DOI minister the first time round uh, back in in twenty eleven, I think. Um, so, so there are some of the I, I think the earliest uh, decision of Timwald, which was still awaiting progress from from government, was going back to I think two thousand and six. Um, right. And you would kind of think sixteen years is a long time to have yeah. actually. Resolved the matter. This is trade allure in action. It is, it? isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And it's interesting that it raises that question of, about the relationship between Timwald and government. Does can Timwald direct government policy? And there are kind of different views on that. Yes. Um, yeah. And it brings us rather neatly onto the next item. Yes, indeed. Which is bank charges for charities. And Mr. Glover, with a motion that Timwald instructs the government to bring forward legislation to prohibit banks from imposing charges on charitable or philanthropic organisations. Now, there are various aspects of interest to this, but again, that language of instruct, I'm not sure I've ever seen that before. No, it's certainly a new um, one on me, uh, and it did uh, make me look twice at, the, yeah. at, at, at that motion. Because in the past, the tradition was there'd be a kind of declaratory timbled is of the opinion that, and mm. the general thing was that government should go away and look at something. And that's what happened a year ago when this bank charge issue first came up, that um, Treasury at the time, um, I think the initial motion was from the Speaker, and it was kind of calling on government to introduce this legislation, and it was softened up. Softened so, so is, is this one... <laughs> going to go through on the nod would you say or is this one that councillor ministers are likely to have a helpful mm. amendment to which uh, amends it out of its meaning i'd be amazed if there isn't an amendment on this um when this issue came up a year ago the treasury um certainly although they were um like everyone else condemning what island man bank were doing they were um sounding a note of caution about the precedent that would be set here in terms of, um, you know, the, the legislature interfering in what are operational decisions by private commercial organisations. And yet, isn't that the role of government to set the rules? It is, but at that level, um, I think there would be a few raised eyebrows around uh, Athol Street. Um, and also the precedent about if you're saying that um, charities have to have free banking, and that sounds like a good idea. Do they have to have free legal services, free accountancy, free audit services? These as are well? excellent ideas. They may well be. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but but also the the instruction for government to uh, bring forward legislation is unusual, uh, unusual, and I think that'll make uh, the ministers uncomfortable. So I'm expecting 
an amendment to soften that down. Also, the issue seems to have uh, retreated a bit because the bank seem to have postponed this proposal indefinitely now, as far as I can see. So um, I think there'll be a few questions as to why Tim has, has brought this at this stage. Any other items there that uh, catch your eye? Um, there's uh, Joni Farragher's uh, motion about uh, refugees and that the island should have a proper kind of system for doing its own thing in terms of taking in refugees. That, that's that been overtaken by events because mm. um, the government have really cracked on and, and against expectations got, got their own scheme and they brought the first Ukrainians to the island. Um, but I think this this debate could be an opportunity for a, a broader discussion about how that's happened and how it's happened, um, given that only four years ago we were told that this thing, this kind of thing was impossible in the context of Syrian refugees. So maybe some members will draw out an explanation about what's changed in the meantime. And, of course, the, the, the other um, non-governmental... Uh, what's the word? ...item on the order paper is that of built heritage, and this is brought mm. by uh, Marlene Masker, MLC. Yes, um, who's trying to um, look at, at ways of putting resources into the um, preservation of historic buildings. Um, apparently that has lapsed years ago. I think it's an area that needs to be addressed quite, quite broadly. Um, Do you think sometimes these uh, motions... Um, sort of skirt around issues rather than being bl blunt, perhaps a little like uh, Tim Glover's uh, motion uh, earlier on the order paper, uh, uh, actually go straight for the jugular. Uh, yeah. I mean, this this sort of does dance around quite a lot of the issues. That's more of a traditional motion, really, yes. isn't it? And there's a certain kind of polite language. It is, but yes. in in reality, what what she really wants to say is, actually, government, get you've got act. these schemes, you've had them, that they're in legislation, make them bloom and yeah. work. Get your act together. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's also an opportunity to look at, um, from a kind of economic uh, growth aspect, the effect of the um, registered building system on development, um, economic opportunities, um, and hopefully they'll hear from developers as well who have run foul of, find, you know, trying to develop a site and then find that it gets registered. So I mean, there are various aspects to this that perhaps could be could be looked at. So how has Minister Edge got to grips with implementing the changes agreed for her department? Okay, so obviously the um, Beeman's implementation plan was produced um, over 12 months ago. We've just actually re-issued that to Tim Ward. That is um, and what work's been carried out and what actions have been um, achieved so far. Uh, and to be, to be honest, Phil, I'm... Um, really pleased as to how much work has been carried out there's a lot of it happens so you will know behind the scenes a lot of work has to happen before you can progress things um but certainly there's been an awful lot of progress on that Beeman's um review um do I want to talk about Beeman's going forward no because I think its implementation is what we need to talk about there's an awful lot being implemented already 
um, the outstanding area that um, people, the public will be aware of um, really is around the governance model and obviously governors in schools and etc. And that work is starting now. That was that was programmed to start on the 1st of April and that is starting. Um, obviously, we've got some new members on the Education Council as well. And um, obviously, all the stakeholders will be involved in that review to, to look at the future way forward on the, on the governance structures and obviously that um, way forward with the schools. So is, is the Education Council, it, it, its future is now secure, is it? Uh, because I know there were some discussions um, um, in, in recent years that perhaps uh, it had had its day and, and uh, was no longer necessary. And that, and that was certainly part part of the Beamans. They were looking at that. Um, we've appointed to the existing um, sort of structure for the Education Council and the responsibilities, but that's the whole point of doing this full review to make sure we've got the right system in place and governance um, structures going forward for, for that sort of role that the Education Council play, which is, is sitting on the governing bodies of the schools and obviously doing that scrutiny role. Uh, do, you, do you think perhaps governments have t- taken on too much um, what, what might be described as peripheral uh, matters and maybe sometimes that you're so busy doing all of the, the GDPR and the anti-money laundering and the anti-this and the uh, uncle the other uh, that, that you, you, you don't actually have uh, time to focus on, on the actual bread and butter part of the, the work of the department. Yeah, and that's certainly something which I, you know, I've said when I've gone in. I've, luckily, I had 20 years' experience on the leadership team at Balakameen, um, and it's like the dream job, really, when you've had that experience. It's un- unusual to get a ministerial post in, in when you've had that background, but what value it is to have that background, and you can go in and you can challenge. And my focus really is to make sure... All of our students in our schools get the best education and outcomes and the progress that they can make because everybody's different and it's all about what progress they make throughout that that education. Um, yes, there is a lot of, of, you know, that's been implemented, GDPR and that. Obviously, safeguarding's another one, but that's really key policy for schools and to, to make sure that... Um, all of us, our students, are safe in our schools, and that we'll look, you know, look after everybody. But is there a lot goes on on the periphery? Yes, there is. Um, does government need to be looking at it? I think we all know. Yes, we should be looking at everything and moving the island forward with the right, um, the right structures really for government going forward. Um, there's been significant change over time. We've had centralisation, then we've decentralised. You know, I, I was key pushing that in the last administration with regards to um, the the school meals, caretaking and cleaning and you know they've gone back to education now because that is the right place. They need to be managed where the activities taken place, not from a building somewhere in Douglas. So obviously Education Minister with experience in education which is a a novel and and, and fantastic thing. Um, Presumably you have some idea as to as to what you what your vision for, for the the department might be, and I know that's a very worthy thing to talk about the vision. But but um, uh, you know what 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 actually should your department be doing? What 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 are the, the the things that your department should be delivering in terms of the the needs uh, of of the Manx po- uh, population? Okay, so obviously our our key priority is the education of children. 
um, of, within the island plan and we've got that lifelong learning stream throughout the island plan do I think education is for all from what from a young age to, to an old yes I do um, that is a, a priority to make sure that we give um, pathways for for everybody on the island um, my view is there's there's two or three pathways um, obviously there's a degree route going off to university and get getting your degree do we need to attract anybody that's gone off back? Yes, we do. And are we are we um, uh, do, do we support enough uh, uh, students who wish to to go and and go go on to th- uh, uh, tertiary education, get a degree, or possibly even a doctorate? Do we do we do enough as a government to help them? I, I think um, we certainly do. It's quite a large budget; it's nearing ten million pounds a year that um, is in the student awards scheme for students to go off island and study. Um, with regards to, you know, the UK doesn't do a scheme like that. It's loans and student loans have to be paid back. Um, do we need to look at that? Yes, we do. Uh, what do I think is, is the best way forward is we need to be able to try and attract our own students back. Um, obviously, there's, there, are, there, there are people that want to stay on the island and do degrees as well. And that's when we talk about pathways. Um, certainly when I was younger the opportunities weren't like they are today Um, if you wanted to get a degree or further your education qualification um, you used to do it whilst you were at work and your employer supported you through that so these are the pathways um, you know we need to have them outlined so all of the students on the island when they reach that age when they're choosing their career they need to be able to see which options shouldn't all be about you have to get a degree and go off island. There's another pathway and a route on the island that you could perhaps get to that qualification utilising our, our, our employers on the island as well. And and would you say the, the standards being achieved by uh, pupils in, in Manx schools, uh, uh, are, are the standards as high as we, we ought to expect or, or is there some work still to be done there? Certainly, um, obviously, my experience when I was at Balakameen, it, it was something that you looked at on, a, on an annual basis following the results. There was always good analysis done of it. Um, did it improve year on year? Most of the time it did. Um, obviously, we've got the challenges now that students have missed, you know, we've mm. had all the interruption with COVID. Do we all want to achieve better? Yes, we do. More importantly, it's about the progress for that individual to make sure they can reach the potential, their own potential. Um, I don't, I don't think we should get into the to the point where we say you've got to get seventy percent A stars to C because then all that the targeting is actually attaining that rather than actually the progress for individuals. And you, you touched on on the the COVID. The, the, the dread COVID there and and clearly this is still having an impact on your department uh, you know I think it's fair to say that COVID uh, cases are quite high around the island and um, this will be impacting on both children uh, or students being able to attend schools but also uh, teachers and there have been significant pressures on the department uh, certainly in recent months where various schools have had to say to year groups that they can no longer attend, uh, so clearly that's a that's a big issue. And uh, how how is the department going about uh, trying to fix that problem? Okay, so obviously um, the individual management of the school day and the students in school it falls with the head teacher. Um, they're the best place to manage um, 
they know what their absences are and they also know what is on the timetables for individual students and what the critical points within education are. So obviously the students that have been getting sent home prior to Easter, they were mostly the non-exam groups because they were focusing on ensuring that the exam students, because it's the first year that they're actually sitting exams for a couple of years as well. So that pressure's there. With regards to the staffing pressures, um, obviously we've we've got staffing pressures on the island for all key worker areas, but we are, are looking at a department as the best way we can look at that. If we haven't got enough supply teachers, how else can we do that with cover supervisors etc so we are working on that to make sure because my priority and the department's priority is we need our students in school in being taught in in classes and that hopefully is with a professional teacher in that subject area if not we will be looking at ways to ensure that they are in school being educated um you know i know in the UK, the claps and classes, and you might be teaching 60 to 100 students at Gosh. once. And, that, you know, all these things. However, we do have restraints on the island because, you know, some of our buildings are, can't be flexible like that. So I think it's got to be that flexible approach. And I think a lot of people are saying, you know, about online and yes do we need to get a lot more digital work so that students who are at home um, yes but of course the pandemic has made that change uh, we need to keep focusing and going forward with that. I suppose the thing in relation to supply teachers is the traditional marketplace to go to get supply teachers are generally retired teachers mm-hmm. and many of them perhaps are, are they thinking that well I don't really want to risk going into the schools because of the the, the COVID situation is, is that part of the problem? Um, I haven't heard of that as a concern because most people that are in education it is a vocation rather than a, a career you know for, for the pay at the end of the month mm. it's a vocation however have we got enough people on that supply list no we probably haven't because as you know it's choice as to whether they are want to attend at certain times you know if the weather's nice today they might not want to go in Mm. so so that does that could cause impact but we need to make sure that we have got opportunity for cover and um that's what we're looking at to go go forward with with a different model but as you say it's all got to be funded and you know i'm keen for a full funding review of education it is on it's it's going to be underway the chief minister is it was part of his manifesto um for election as well as chief minister so um i think that's one of the key things for the department this year is to get that funding review and then we'll know what really the budget is and of course education on the island is fully inclusive so you can't actually compare as like for like with with some other areas because they don't do a fully inclusive um policy i mean you you touched there i, I know we can't talk about ongoing uh, pay disputes um, but it is fair to say that the teachers' unions are, are very strongly uh, advocating that the value of a teacher in, in, in society now, as compared with maybe 10 or 20 years ago, has diminished very significantly in terms of the, the monetary reward that they get at the end of their working month. So uh, presumably that's going to be part of your review is to see how um, the teachers can, can start to be become or at least feel as though, as though they're going to be better rewarded. So, so on the island we do stick to the national pay scales for teachers so it's not just the island's pay scales, it's everywhere. Do we need to look at recruitment and retention uh, for the island? Yes, you know we we definitely do and obviously we're conscious of that. We need to try and uh, retain, however... There's always 
shift in education. You know, there's, there's times when I know we've been replacing 15 teachers throughout the summer for, for Balakameen, for instance. So um, they can only hand in their notice three times a year. So there's sometimes there's peaks and it usually is the summer and we do have a new group of teachers coming in every year. With regards to, to, to the pay, the UK this year didn't um, recommend a, a pay award. There, there was a 0% for teachers. So um, obviously we're still in negotiations, so I can't comment any, any further on the current negotiations. But, you know, hopefully we will find a way of resolving them going forward. And, you know, valuing our teachers, they are they are bringing the future individuals that are going to support our economy going forward and you can't underestimate and you know the value of that to the island i think it's really important because no, no matter what you do as, as minister if you haven't got uh, an, an enthusiastic band of, of teachers who have great skills and, and, and ability uh, you're, you're effectively not going to be able to deliver any of your targets or, or, or ambition that's right, and that you know that's key because the the island plan's quite clear on what, on what we want to deliver. You know what what are the three priorities for an island for our island? It's it's got to be education. It's got to be one of the t- the top, the economy, and then your health. Um, and and they all go together, uh, and and it, you know will achieve the good outcomes f- for the island. So do we need to invest in education? Yes, we do. One of the uh, the charges that has been thrown at the department from time to time is that actually, despite what you're saying, that uh, you know teaching is is the priority for the Department of Education. And one of the charges that's often put is that actually the department spends around 50% of its budget on teachers and then the other 50% is on um, some central force of of advisors and, and uh, admin people but presumably there's an awful lot more uh, than, than, than just that. I mean, mm. how, how would you answer that uh, particular charge? Look, it, you're probably about right. It's probably about 50% on, on pay for, for teachers. Um, but also the department then has the student awards money, which, have, as I've said, is around the £10 million. Then there's the VTAS scheme, which is another, another few million pounds. Then we've got the school. And the VTAS, VTAS is? V- VTAS is um, the, the vocational um, right. qualifications. So, for instance, apprenticeships would go out of, uh, of the v- VTAS um, scheme. So these are all administered by the department because they do have an educational element to them. Centrally in the department... Would I have criticised it two years ago? I would have. Now it is quite a lean department. I'm quite shocked when I've walked in as to how few staff are in it. Um, I think it's always an easy one to blame. It was like when I was at the post office, it was easy to blame to top heavy management. Um, the department's quite lean in comparison to other areas of government. And is that sometimes uh, part of the problem um, in terms of people looking from the outside and they, they, they see 50% of the budget goes to teachers and the rest is spent on central things and and, and immediately people assume that it's administration, don't they? Is, is that, though, the department's own f- fault for, for not being clearer, perhaps, in, in terms of how its budget is spent? No, I totally agree. Uh, and I have said to the department, the website's going to be updated. It's It's not very doesn't provide much information We've got some excellent websites out there in individual schools but we need to be more open and publish publishing for the public a lot more of the information and what work goes on that's probably 
an educational thing. You get on with the job and you get the results. You don't necessarily go out and brag about what you're doing. Um, but we do need to find a way of, of getting that information out to the public. Should we be having an open day? an education day, we've got to look at ways that the public can sort of communicate with us and we can explain to them some of the new MHKs that have come in, you know, they've queried things and when they've actually come down to the department and we've said this is actually how it, how it all works and fits together, it's actually it opened it up for them to, to realise that chat, there are challenges, you know, and we have education advisors, we have the special needs element of education, so... There's, there's all sorts that actually make up that central part of the department. So, And there's not a lot of people in that central advisory role. Within our schools, we've got challenges and we need to support them and help them. But I want them to have the autonomy that they deserve as well because they're the specialists in education. And one of the, the elements that you do have to uh, deal with is the additional educational needs or special needs, as, as I think it was uh, it used to be called. But that is a big challenge, isn't it? And there have been difficulties uh, in relation to that budget. But that budget has been enhanced uh, in, in recent uh, times. It, it has been, um, but certainly the AEN code, which was getting developed and that was agreed, in the last administration obviously that's ready to go now and it does need significant investment so these are the challenges that the department faces and you know we're going to have to take those to treasury and and see however i think this overall funding review will bring some of that information out as to how how we should be spending that um it used to be called special educational needs rather than additional educational needs. So um, that code will be under this AEN code. Mm. And um, if we want to achieve what's needed in that AEN code, it will need investment. As a former representative for the South, you, you know that I've got to ask you um, about two uh, very hot topics uh, in the uh, the Castletown area. Um, I mean, the, the, the first one, which um, certainly seemed like a, a, a quite a, an out-of-the-blue um, thing, was that Castle Russian, which had apparently been progressing uh, in the department, um, suddenly no longer appeared as, as a, a, a clear commitment in, in, in the pink book at, at, at this year's budget. The, the Southern members... Were, uh, seem to have been uh, taken by surprise by this. Uh, was this the department's decision? Was it Treasury's decision? Was it a council of ministers decision? Um, how 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 come the Castle Russian High School was actually taken out in the first place? Treasury have changed the way that they're presenting the pink book this year. So they're presenting what schemes are are ongoing. They're not presenting what's forecast going going forward the same as they used to. Um, with regards to um, what's actually in the pink book. That's, as you know, it takes quite time in government to get things through to just that design stage to actually getting a spade in the ground. Is there anything changing? No. There, you know, we are progressing. We've done the feasibility study and we, we've look, we're looking at that presently. We we have now got a design concept. So now the way... F- what, what we need to do next is is to build that up and then go out to an architect um, to do the, the full design and obviously that's business cases etc once once we reach that stage was there a design prior to what I've seen now I can't find one so um, I think there was ideas and, and people's views but actually n- not that actual feasibility as to what could be achieved on that site 
And and one of the the charges regularly thrown at government is is it's very good at grandiose schemes and uh, you know knobs, bells and whistles are, are, are attached to every government scheme. Um, is is that going to be the case with Castle Russian High School? Obviously, we we need to be thinking of climate change and sustainable, and we've obviously got the. Um ground source arrays in the ground for underneath the fields that's progressing the fields hopefully will be available for use from september with regards to the design what do we need we need a building that children can be educated in and that is not full to capacity on the day it opens um it'd be my key priority um can we get a nice design for that i'm hopeful that we can um a pleasant environment um but as you say does it need to be gold plated not necessarily it needs to be fit for purpose, not full to capacity and sustainable for the future. And, you know, obviously we, we need to be looking at every, every way we can to make sure that the costs ongoing and maintenance are as low as possible. And it does need to be replaced, doesn't it? Because uh, I, I, I'm not entirely sure of the of, of my facts and figures on this, but uh, I know that my dad uh, just missed out on going to Castle Russian uh, High School. We've certainly had our value for money out of uh, the existing building. Yeah, it's certainly not the oldest school on the island. Um, have I been down and visited it? Yes, I've been down down twice. Um, obviously, first time I went on my own before a question from the MHK for the area. And um, I've been down with the Chief Minister since. It certainly has areas that you can tell has had no maintenance for a long time and I think I found that the most disappointing thing because government should be maintaining and then it might not cost us so much going forward Um, but I think that's probably because the decision everybody thought was we're getting a new school and it'll be here here we are still talking about it Um, but to me maintenance and, and I think that's probably key with any new design is the lowest maintenance possible to make sure we get the value for money out of it going forward um have we have we got other schools that need money spent on them yes so i have said actually that we need to do a full strategic analysis of the south and what do we really need and make sure that that school when it opens can cope with the, any expansion in the south one of my uh, fondest memories uh, attending castle russian high school was the trip on the bus in and out of douglas to go to the swimming pool um and and at the time, I seem to remember we were watching the the development of the of the new road going through Newtown, and helps us neatly into into the uh, the other thorny issue in the south. And it's fair to say, after a little bit of a an, an initial um, public uh, battle, uh, the, you, the the department and the swimming pool board do seem to be working very very well together at the moment. Um, is there a need for a swimming pool in the south? I mean, should it be built, a new pool be built as part of the, the, the Castle Russian High School development? So obviously we've, we've agreed that we're going out to do a review of all the pool provision on the island. Um, that includes all of the pools. The southern board that's in place now, I think, are doing an excellent job. They've really looped into the whole sort of operation Um and it's great to see a board is, is delved in deep and, they, and and raised the concerns with the department. Um, could more more have been done sooner? Most probably. Um, but they are independent boards that are operated through the local authorities. Um, and with regards to the rate, you know, put, putting the swimming pool rate up, 
that's not gone up. I think it's since the seventies. Mm. So you know that two two and a half pence that should have been on on all local authorities' agendas that costs are going up. So therefore, we need to be looking at this. And that seems to have been a bit of a fiasco, in as much as the Southern Pool order was ready to go, um, the Southern authorities um, sort of charged that that, you know, that that portion onto their rates. And then the next thing we knew was the order had been pulled. So um, what, does government not know what it's doing? Well, obviously, that's the responsibility for the Department of Infrastructure. Um, certainly, we expected that to go forward. Um, hopefully, it will come back. Um, I think perhaps because we were talking about a review that, perhaps, you know, there was a little bit of confusion perhaps at the time. So obviously, we're clear now. We know there's a review happening Will that look into the rateable value? It's going to look at it's going to look at all the governance and operation costs and um, the way forward for for swim pools on the island. So we are about to they're just working now to put that tender out. Um, so hopefully that'll be underway, and we're hopeful for a report on that by July. And, and presumably the the boards will have an opportunity to input into 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 what the review should have in it, as well as. Uh, having the opportunity to, to input into the review as it takes place. Yeah, so so obviously the the scope um, has been drawn up uh, and that is going to the Council of Ministers for information to make sure that we have covered everything that's, that's expected. Um, if anybody's doing an, an independent review, I would expect them to speak to the boards. Um, you know, obviously I can't tell them how to conduct that. All we can do is do that scope and specification. So, um, But I would expect stakeholders to be involved. And it is fair to say that North and West are less eager to impose an additional rate on, on their ratepayers for their swimming pools. Um, certain, certainly they hadn't come forward as, uh, as quick as the Southern. Um, I think they all realise now that, that perhaps they do need to look at that. With, with regards to, obviously, the, 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 their pools are younger. <laughs> And certainly the investment, um, I think Ramsey's about 20 years, appeals a little bit more, but obviously the South is 40 years. um, And it is down to them to take out loans and do the investment. Um, Clearly that hasn't happened in the South. Um, And, you know, again, that could be because it was sort of muddied in with uh, the the new school. Um, But once we know the outcome of the review will have a, a better idea of all the pools on the island and the, and the best operation, operate, operating model. And of course, at, at the risk of, of upsetting uh, former minister, former MHK David Cretney, who always described it as the national pool, the eastern pool, uh, the eastern authorities pay nothing uh, towards that in, in their rates, do they? So, of course, that's a full sort of leisure facility op- operation. It's not just a community pool. It's got all the other... Um, things that go, you know, you've got your sports halls, you've got your outdoor pitches, you've got your, you know, your um, hockey, etc. In the National Sports Centre, and the fantastic football stadium that we've now now created, that atmosphere that's getting created there. Um, it's a national asset, and it's only actually costing one point six million to run the whole venue. So, so it, effectively, it, what you're saying to the people in the north the west and the south is because they don't have all these additional extra facilities uh, they should pay for their swimming pool 
No, no, that's not true. I'm, what I'm explaining is that the National Sports Centre is operating at 1.6 million and it has all these extra facilities. So it's an all-island facility for a lot more than just, just the pool. And obviously there's the leisure pool side and we know that's had investment. Um, NSC is 25 years old, I think it is. So the investment that has just been done on the on the sort of leisure pool and creating that little cove for for the youngsters, it's cost 4.6 million, I think, to do that. But that will last us for another 20 years. So the investment, I think, has been really good value. I think the NSC, when it first was built, was only about 25 million. There has been a visit from one of the other islands and they've had a price for a similar facility and they're talking over £100 million. So, you know, I think it's value, really good value for money, the NSC, and anybody can, can go to it, whether it should be included in, in rates for the East. Um, you know, let's, this review is going to look at all that, so we'll get the outcome. And finally, Minister, the uh, how's it going? Are you enjoying your, your, your role? I mean, uh, is there... Are there things that you are surprised about, about the whole way in which government works? Do you think the government's doing a good job after the first six months in office? Yeah, certainly, um, you know, I I feel privileged to have the role I've got because I've got inside knowledge, so it does make progress and things, I think, a bit bit easier than if you're going in to learn something completely new. Um, Now that we've got the island plan, and we can move forward with that. And we've got the policy committees and delivery committees. Um, I think it is a good um, engine to move everything forward. Um, are there challenges? There's big challenges ahead. Obviously, none of us knew um, what was going to happen in Ukraine um, when we all took took our posts. And, the, you know, there are going to have to be some tough decisions made. Am I prepared to take, make tough decisions? I think everybody knows I am after the post office. You have to have to do that and you have to do what's right for the island and, and the future of the island. But from from point of view of education, I think the key thing for me is to make sure we've got good schools, te- good good quality teaching in them. Have we got inspection and uh, assessment um, and progress for our students that's the key priority is to make sure a parent knows that once their child goes into school they can see how they're progressing and we need to be transparent with that information and publish it Minister Edge certainly faces some challenges in her department, not least the ongoing pay dispute with teachers. And can the Tinwald secret briefings continue? I hope you enjoyed Perspective. Please get in touch with philgorn at manxradio.com and let me know your thoughts and views on the programme. And don't forget, the extended podcast is available from Manx Radio's website. But for now, I'm Phil Gorn, Gurumayu Sungeisha Grum. Thanks for listening. <laughs>